0: Yes. Okay. Uh, so Miss Nia's in the back, and she is happy to take you downstairs for children's church. It's quiet in here. I know it's weird. It's eerie. I don't know what they're got. It, it, something's up. They're quiet. Okay. <laughs> All right, adults, since you're staying here with me, uh, and you can get up and volunteer yourself as a child. uh, We are going to be all over the scriptures today, so I don't even know how to tell you where we will be. uh, Except that I will have scriptures on the board, so you can just kind of follow along. Now, we are starting a new series today, um, and it's going to go for a couple weeks, and it's called Misquoted. A look at what the Bible really says, Uh, because who here likes to be misquoted? Anybody? Anybody like to be taken out of context? No. Anybody like to have said something and then someone goes behind their back and says, "Hey, did you hear what so and so said?" To get it all wrong, and then someone comes to you and be like, "Is that what you said?" And you're like, "That's not at all what I said." Do you like that? <laughs> okay. Okay. Nobody likes to be misquoted, and I thought we might start this idea of misquoted, and I hope I don't offend anyone, uh, by with just some simple misquotes that I found. Okay, these are great. Um, You will not harm Harry Potter. (laughs) Go. Uh, For those of you who are Harry Potter fans, or Star Wars fans, or uh, or The Rings fans, there you go. Okay, what about this one? Do or do not. There is no try. Dumbledore. Okay. Okay. What about this one? With great power comes great responsibility. Tony Stark. (laughs) Right. He's never said that. That's misquote. That's uh, that's Spider-Man. Okay. Use the Force, Harry. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a nerd. You're seeing the nerd side. come no, no. How many was that? I have no idea. We'll go here. Ah, stop! Hammer time! <laughs> no? Okay. One more. One more. Thank you. And the last one. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Dumbledore. No. Nobody? Okay, okay. So, nobody likes to be misquoted, and online you can find a wealth of places where there are vast misquotes. In fact, a good chunk of the time, if you search for a quote online, it's probably not attributed to the right person. Um, I have realized quotes are attributed to the wrong people all the time, and I find that out because I want to use a quote in a sermon, and I think I know who says that, and then I go research it a little bit, and I realize that's not who said that, and I realize maybe I can't use that quote because I have no idea who said it or where it came from. I've learned a lot about misquotes over the years, um, so here's what we want to do. We want to learn how we're misquoting God. How we've taken something that is in God's Word, and we as a culture have said, well, we think it kind of sounds like this, so we're going to start saying this, but that's not really what God's Word says. And so we want to peel back the layers of truth today and figure out what God really says, because we know that God's Word is truth, right? And from it comes what we need for a life, and for holiness and relationship with him. And we don't want to misquote it. We don't want to misinterpret it. We don't want to take the ideas that are contained within it and then tweak them a little bit for our own benefit. So we're going to step back a little bit and look at what his word says. Um, when God's word is distorted and we begin to believe it, it will cause us to do two things. One, distance ourselves from God. And two, um, question whether or not God really loves us. And so we need to make sure that we fully understand what it says in God's Word. Um, This word um, series today, we're going to start with the idea that has crept into our culture over I don't know how long, and it's this idea: God's priority is for you to be happy. God wants you to be happy, right? I mean, He's a good God, right? He doesn't want you to be miserable. God wants you to be happy. And so over time, we've begun to live with the idea that God, not just that He wants you to be happy but his main goal is for you to be happy. His priority is your happiness. Above everything else, God exists to make you happy. Is that true or false? False. false. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. Um, what makes you happy? Anybody? Right? I just like bacon. Okay. Uh, bacon makes me happy. Um, yeah, bacon, uh, let's see. What, what makes you guys happy? Sunshine. Sunshine, okay. Granddaughter, and kids okay. um, New, New shoes. New shoes. Okay. <laughs> else happy. Yeah. Whatever makes somebody else happy makes them happy. Okay. Flowers. Fishing. Fishing. Right. Yeah. I get that. Uh, okay. So in your mind, the things that make you happy. Maybe you didn't say them out loud because maybe you don't want to share them publicly. Um, the things that make you happy. How much time and effort and money do you spend pursuing those things? Don't say this out loud. Just think about it a little bit. The things that make you happy, you pursue them with time and money and resources, right? How often do you pursue things that don't make you happy with your time, money, and resources? You don't, right? You're forced to go to school, okay? Makes your parents happy, so they make you do that, okay? Um, We don't pursue things that don't make us happy. We pursue things that make us happy. So now, look at your prayer life for a moment. How much of your prayer life, if you're honestly evaluating it, are made up praying for things to make you happy. Make my day easier. I hope that my job goes well tomorrow. I hope that I get there on time. I hope that so and not angry with me. I hope that all of these things to make our life easier, happier. Because, right, God's priority is for you to be happy if we believe that and we start to pray like that, we start to live like that, and it has some consequences in our life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, let me talk about the world's view of happiness first. What I'm about to say, I got to make this disclaimer. This chunk when I'm talking about the world's view of happiness is not what we believe in the Bible, okay? If you're taking notes, make sure that you highlight this part's not true, okay? Don't go quoting Pastor Peter said, okay? And misquote me. This chunk, I will clearly let you know when we're going to talk true. This chunk, okay, is what the world's view of happiness is. The world's view of happiness Whatever makes me happy must be right. The world's view of happiness. Whatever makes me happy must be right. Have you guys believed this one? Anybody want to admit to that? I believed it. Whatever makes me happy must be right. Because I don't want to be unhappy. Right? So how about this one? Whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. (laughs) Wrong and bad. (laughs) Don't want it pray against it because it makes me unhappy and God wants to make me happy and whatever makes me happy must be right and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong therefore if God wants me to be happy there must be no bad things in my life because God exists to make me happy and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong which means that sadness and sorrow and suffering and sacrifices and challenges and change and pain and discomfort and delay They cannot possibly be God's will for my life. Because they make me unhappy. Right? This is how we live, though, subconsciously. We We need to evaluate our minds here. Do we fall prey to this kind of thinking? Okay? Because this is important to us. What about this? If I have experienced wrong things, okay, if I am unhappy, then clearly God has failed me. Clearly, God has not heard me. Clearly, God doesn't love me, and clearly, God is a jerk. Right? We might not say it like that, but if we believe that God's priority is for us to be happy, if that's his priority, and whatever makes me happy is right, and whatever makes me unhappy is wrong, then if I'm not happy, God's a jerk. Right? God hasn't heard me. What does this lead people to do? If this is the theology that the world follows... This leads people to step away from God. Because if God exists to make you happy, and I'm not happy, then God hasn't heard me, and he doesn't love me, and he doesn't like me, and he's disappointed in the things that I've done. Or maybe he's a jerk. I don't know. But whatever it is, he doesn't like me right now. And so I don't like him right now. I don't need church. I don't need God. He doesn't work for me. This isn't working in my life. I'm not happy. I'm going to try something else. I hear this a lot as a pastor. This is something that takes root in our culture. God wants us to be happy, therefore the things in my life need to go well, and if they don't go well, then God's not working for me. So then we start praying prayers like, dear magic, genie in heaven. And that's how we treat God, because whatever makes me feel good must be right, and God wants me to be happy. If he cared for me, I wouldn't be unhappy, so I'm going to reject God because he is making me unhappy. And that's not very nice. So we seek the highest form of happiness we can through circumstances. This is what the world teaches. And possessions. And we worship the false gods of comfort and money and pleasure and things. Because if they make me happy, then they must be right. And that's how we live in our world. You know, this is even taught from the pulpit. Um, not this pulpit. We teach biblical truth here. But in other pulpits, sometimes this is taught. And I'm going to quote this because I don't want to get it wrong. But in no way is this true. Okay? In no way is this true. Um, and it's taught, um, whether intentionally or accidentally, I don't know. Okay? Um, but this is a direct quote from a well-known pastor in the pulpit. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're really doing it for ourselves, because God takes pleasure when we are happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. Epic pastor faith. From the pulpit, people are being taught something that is contrary to Scripture. That God's sole existence in the world is to serve you and make you happy, to cater to your whim, to please you, to remove all bad things from your life so that you can be happy, not unhappy. The main point of that guy's sermon was that God exists for your happiness, and it just isn't true. Now let me say, I'm going to move to a truth section now. Now what we're going to talk about is going to be God's perspective on truth. And it's very important that we pay attention to this part, because... um, while God's main goal is not your happiness, he doesn't delight in your happiness, right? Parents, is your main goal to make your children happy 100% of the time? What would that do to your children? <laughs> right, spoil them rotten. It would be a disaster. Nobody would like your children. You wouldn't like your children. Your job, your main priority as parents, is not to make your children happy 100% of the time. But, parents... Do you delight when your child is truly happy about something? Sure. Yes. Yeah? Okay, so this is how God works, okay? He delights when we are truly happy within certain bounds. Let's talk about that, okay? God does not prioritize your happiness when? God does not prioritize your happiness when? You choose sin. If sin makes you happy, God's not prioritizing it. God will not seek to make you happy if your happiness is found in sinful areas. It says in Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seems right, because whatever makes me happy makes me right, right? There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's end is death. God is saying, listen, not all things that will make you happy are good for you. Do not pursue what makes you happy all the time, because sometimes the things that make you happy are downright sinful and wrong. And God will not prioritize your happiness if it is a sinful kind of thing. What about this one? He does not prioritize your happiness when you choose culture. He does not prioritize your happiness when you choose culture, when your happiness is derived from circumstances and the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15. What God is saying is, listen, the world is okay, like I made it. It's good, but people have distorted what was good into something unholy with sin. So if you start to love the sinful, cultural ways of the world, and you put those priorities above your relationship with me, I don't delight in that kind of happiness. I don't delight in that. Find your happiness, not in culture. It says this. You were created for eternity. That's what scripture tells us. You are not anywhere, can I read anywhere in here, where it says, God created mankind for culture. I don't read that in the Bible. What I read in the Bible is this verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God made us, and in making us, he has made everything beautiful in his time, and he put eternity into man's heart. He didn't put culture into man's heart. He didn't put sin into man's heart. We put those things there, because we thought they would make us happy. But God says, listen, I made you. I made you in my image. You're my child. I put what will make you most happy in your heart already, A desire, a yearning for something greater than you are, bigger than you are, holier than you are. Eternity. I put that desire in your heart. Here's what C.S. Lewis says, and I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis. Okay? What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. That they could set up on their own as if they had created themselves and be their own masters and invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come, every, has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And the reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us. He invented us. As a man invents an engine, a car is made to run on gas, and it wouldn't run properly on anything else. So God designed the human machine to run on himself, and if he himself is the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn on, the food our spirit was designed to feed on, there is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own ways. God cannot give us a happiness, cannot give us a peace apart from himself, because it is not there. It does not exist apart from God. I love C.S. Lewis. He phrases things better than most people I know. Um, Here's the thing. God's highest priority is not your happiness. He delights in your happiness when it's not focused on sin, when it's not focused on culture, his highest priority is not your happiness. So if it's not your happiness, what's God's highest priority for us? Holiness. God's highest priority is your holiness. God's highest priority is that you would be formed in the image of His Son, that you would be Christ-like in your words and your actions and your thought life and your deeds and the way that you spend your money and the way that you pursue activity and your relationships and everything— God's highest priority is your holiness. It says this: You should be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and I have separated you from all the peoples. So you are mine. God's saying, Listen, you're my beautiful children, and I love you so much. And and you will be holy for me. You shall be. That's not a if you are holy for me. That's a you shall be holy to me. That's a declarative statement from the Lord saying, You will be holy. I've paved the way for you to be holy. Holiness is a really good thing. I'm giving it to you through Jesus. You shall be holy. I've set you apart from other people so that they can see who I am based on your holiness. Holiness is God's highest priority for you. This is an Old Testament verse. Some people might go, Old Testament, Schmold Testament. Okay, That doesn't really count because Jesus doesn't say these things. But in 1 Peter, it is echoed as well because Jesus taught his disciples. And so the disciples wrote and taught us You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a declarative statement and a promise. God promises that he will help us live a holy life that is pleasing to him. His highest priority is not to help us live a happy life, but to help us live a holy life. And here's the greatness. The byproduct of holiness is happiness. The byproduct of holiness is happiness. We are to pursue holiness, and in doing so... We find a great quantity of happiness, not worldly happiness. There's a really distinct difference between temporary worldly happiness and true eternal joy. Huge distinct difference for us in the world. Um, Jesus, um, let me me go here. James, consider it a joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. That you may become perfect, holy, and complete, lacking in nothing. The byproduct of holiness is lasting joy despite circumstances. And this is the difference between worldly holiness and holy happiness. Okay? Does it make the difference? Like it's the difference between cultural happiness and godly happiness found through holiness. Cultural happiness will tell you, well, if I'm not happy, it must not be right. If things are going wrong, then God has failed. If I am uncomfortable, then I am not happy. Life is bad, therefore I'm miserable, and there's no hope. That's what the world will say. God's word says you should consider it a joy, a joy, joy, J-O-Y, happiness. Be happy when you encounter difficult things of all kinds, because through those difficult things, God is going to make you holy and complete. God is going to use the unhappy circumstances in our life to perfect in us something amazing. Holiness and Christ-likeness and a deep-seated joy that we can't experience apart from knowing suffering and sorrow. Uh, Jesus taught the disciples about this kind of joy, this kind of deep-seated, lasting joy, in um, in the Beatitudes. If you want to play to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read these Beatitudes real quick. Matthew chapter 5. It says this at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preaching this massive sermon. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, holiness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of false things against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I want to just talk here about this for a moment. Because worldly joy, worldly happiness would not read, Blessed are the poor in spirit for those of the kingdom of God. And, happy are those who mourn. And happy are those who are meek. And happy are those who are hungry and thirsty. We don't say that, right? We're like, oh man, that stinks for them. guess they should pray harder. Or try harder. Or have more faith. Right? We hear these things. But it's not true. What God wants to tell us here by repeating the word blessed is something really significant. Remember this joy that is being talked about in James? Let me tell you about this word blessed. This word blessed is the word makarios. okay, And it's a word that means supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy. So let me reread the blessed beatitudes for you. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly, unswervingly happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Supremely, Deeply, unswervingly happy are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy are the pure in heart, for they shall seek God. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy will you be when others revile you and persecute you utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. So be supremely, deeply and unswervingly happy because your reward in heaven is great. God has put eternity in your heart and set before you the opportunity to choose this kind of joy in life. This kind of happiness in life. This is what God wants for you. Not something that's temporary based on what makes you feel good. But something that is deep-seated and rooted in eternity. The kind of joy that goes through all of life. And regardless of what you're facing, you go, yeah, this, I mean, is pretty bad right now. But I've got this joy and this happiness that is able to see me through. I've got this ability to see eternity and to get through it because Jesus is bigger than my circumstances. He is Happy to walk me through this. I find joy being with Jesus in the midst of the trial. When you are poor, when you are sick, when you are persecuted, when you are mournful, when people pass away, when things go wrong, Makarios, supremely, deeply, unswervingly happy. Now Jesus is calling us to follow him and to experience this kind of joy on a regular basis this marcarios, this joy that never ceases. And he is not asking us to embrace this kind of joy without himself already embracing it. He is not asking us to do something and to live a life that he has not already done and lived. Right? So, um, Christ himself has endured sorrows in life, right? Can we all agree on that? He endured difficulty and sorrow and suffering, right? Um, He endured all of those things for the joy that was set before him, is what it says in Scripture. For the markarios that was set before him. He forsook the temporary and set his eyes on the eternal as he walked towards the cross to die for the sins of you and for me and for the rest of the world. In Hebrews 12, it says... 12. Therefore, therefore, okay, life happens. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, i.e., those that have gone before us in the faith, and those that we are sitting with in this room now, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the Markarios that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus has endured these things on behalf of us. He was not exempt from sorrow and pain and suffering. We will not be exempt from sorrow and pain and suffering. But Jesus can give us Markarios in the midst of that. God does not want you to pursue happiness. He wants you to pursue him. He does not want you to pursue that which makes you feel good in the moment. He wants you to pursue that which you were created for, for eternity to have. Relationship with Him. True lasting happiness comes from knowing Jesus. True lasting happiness comes from relationship with the Lord. Nothing else in heaven or earth will satisfy you as much as relationship with Jesus. Knowing that He knows you, knowing He knows all your junk knowing that he forgives you despite all of that, knowing that he will continue to forgive you as you do things you shouldn't do, knowing that day in and day out his mercies are new every morning, knowing that he has endured rough things and identifies with what it is to be tempted and to feel sorrowful and to be picked on and to all the things that go into life he has experienced. And he is the one that knows best how to create joy amid those circumstances. So I want to ask you a few questions. Can you find true joy in Christ, even if he withholds what you desire? That's a tough question. Like, the Sunday school answer is yes, right? But can you really? Have you really? In your life, is that true about the way you live? Do you have true joy, even if he withholds something that you really desire, that you believe that you need, that you really want, and if you just had, you would be happy? Can you find true joy without it? Can you find everlasting Makarios in Christ, even if you're in the midst of a valley that doesn't seem to end? Where you can't see the end of the valley and you're just walking in the dark. Can you still have Makarios, that true joy in your heart, even as you walk through the valley? These are questions as Christians that we need to wrestle with because they push against the cultural concept that if God loves you, he wants you happy. Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Right? That fruit looks good. Lie of the adversary? Well, if God loved you, he would let you eat from that. If God cared about you, he wouldn't withhold what you wanted. Eat from that fruit. And that lie has worked its way all the way down to us today. And we've begun to believe it. And we must not allow our hearts to live that way anymore. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. The Bible says, be glad in the Lord. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord. And so the Lord wants you to know today that true joy, true happiness, true makarios, despite all circumstances, exists with him and only with him. And apart from him, we will have temporary happiness. But that will fade when the item gets older, when the relationship goes away, or when that person dies, or when you lose that job, or when you crash your brand new vehicle, or whatever it is, Temporary happiness will go away, and you'll be left wanting your next fix. We only need one fix for our life, and it's Jesus. And he wants to offer you true happiness this morning. So, reflect on this one for a moment. Back to my very first point. God does not prioritize your happiness if you're seeking sin. God does not prioritize your happiness if you're seeking culture. So, as we enter into worship now... um, that must be the question that rolls in your heart. Where in my life have I not matched up to the Word of God? What am I seeking that is outside the bounds of Scripture? What am I doing in my life that is sinful but I'm doing because it makes me happy? And are you willing to surrender that to God this morning and allow Him to give you true joy in replacement for those things? That's the question we must ask ourselves as we approach through worship. Father, um, as we as we seek to worship you, we want to lay our hearts open before you and surrender and say that we recognize in our life there are times and seasons that we would rather see temporary happiness because it's so instant, but as quick as it comes, it often fades, and we're left sorrowful or depressed or angry or bitter, and we don't want to live that way. We don't want the roller coaster of the emotion that the world gives us. We want the true, solid ground that we can stand on with you. The joy that lasts through everything. We reveal to us this morning, Father, as we worship you, the ways in which our life does not look like Scripture. The ways in which we've chosen sin over happiness with you. The ways we've chosen culture instead of Christ. Would you point them out to us in such a way that we would go, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I didn't realize that. So that we know that it's from you. And then would you help loosen our hands and hearts grips on those things? So that that place in our heart, which is made in your image and created for eternity, can be filled with your Holy Spirit anew you this morning. That we might experience in this place an overwhelming amount of our caries joy everlasting for your kingdom, for your love. May our joy be so contagious, Father, that we can't help but it just exude it wherever we go. I mean, that regardless of what we face, we've got you in our side, and you and me are enough for anything that we face in life. Thank you for being so big. Thank you for being a God of such joy. Thank you for being a God who cares so much for us. That you are willing to enter into our dark places and bring us joy. Your vision is greater than ours. And we are thankful for that. Give us joy this morning and create in us a heart which seeks after you and nothing else. We give you all the glory and honor, Father, and the greatest things in you name. Amen.